What time is it, you wonder? Well, it's time for Drinks with Tony on KPCRLP Santa Cruz 101.9 FM. Bop, bop, ba boom, sound. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 137 of Drinks with Tony with my guest, Bob Calhoun. He's the author of The Murders That Made Us, How Vigilantes, Hoodlums, Mob Bosses, Serial Killers, and Cult Leaders Built the San Francisco Bay Area. Speaking of storytelling, I'm reading this book called The Science of Storytelling, and it's how our brains are constantly telling stories, and it's blowing my mind. And the author is on the same like existential page as me. Uh, in my lectures when I teach, usually earlier in the quarter, I talk about what motivates me as a writer. And what motivates me is death. What motivates me is we're all going to die. And until then, we're all telling ourselves stories to make us feel better, to make meaning out of like this existence in a way. Now, I don't want to do no Van Gogh or John Kennedy tool and be fully realized after my death as a storyteller. I want to be realized now, but sometimes it happens later. And I'm, I still find Confederacy of Dunces just a stupid novel. I don't get it. Anyway, so where was I at? Oh, yeah. On the lecture of storytelling, I talk about death, where there's a rich story in there that we're all telling ourselves regarding death, like there's a heaven, or we'll come back as a cockroach, or we'll come back with a larger cock in the next life, or is it just emptiness? I don't know the answer to this question, but it's all story, and it's all okay. Other stories, I tell myself I'm a stellar hunk, and then I look, by, I look at myself naked in the mirror and realize the mirror is probably one of those weird carnival twisted mirrors, so I have to replace that at some point because that's not me. I'm a stellar hunk. But the really important thing as a storyteller is to let the bad idea continue to form into a good idea. And I've heard this often, especially when, I, when people find out I'm a writer and they go, oh, I have a great story for you and you can use it. And it's the last thing I ever, ever, ever want to do because my bad idea is more fun than your bad idea. And essentially what we do is remake, we remake our bad idea in our brains and it turns into something that might be important that might even change the world. Or it might just make us feel a little better about ourselves because we can check the writer's box that we're a writer in the box when St. Peter meets us at the pearly gates and then he'll apologize for making for us making such a bad choice in life. And we'll get to step in the room with Henry Miller and drink cognac for eternity without hangover, without worrying about how we're rotting our brains and organs because brains and organs are meaningless in heaven. Or we'll be a cockroach and we'll probably, <laughs> that's the, we'll, we'll be a cockroach in the next life. Hi, this is Bob Calhoun and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Bob Calhoun. He's the author of The Murders That Made Us, How Vigilantes, Hoodlums, Mob Bosses, Serial Killers, and Cult Leaders Built the San Francisco Bay Area. Bob, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, the books escape 
not supposed to be out until uh, Wednesday, uh-huh. uh, when May 4th, but it's already shipping. People are picking it up at Green Apple and other bookstores and, you know, the big conglomerates are shipping it to people and everything else, the big e-tailers. Um, but they're also, it's also coming into bookstores already. So it's escaped. It's, it's on the loose. It's a, it's a wanted fugitive. That's great. That's got to feel good. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. It just, it kind of confuses some people in the press though. It's like, well, it's already out now, isn't it? I see it's, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, I was warned this could happen. It's better than the opposite problem where it's two weeks late and people are complaining. Everybody's happy. They got it early. It's like Christmas. So you got to tell me, uh, cause you know, I'm, I'm a San, I'm a San Franciscan at heart, even though I live in Los Angeles now, but I just, it, this is, this is a good angle to come out what we are as San Franciscans kind of. We are murderous louts. Yeah. That's what we are as San Franciscans. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, you could probably do, you could definitely do this with Los Angeles, but the, you know, I had all these crime stories. I'd been writing them for the weekly, just these, these short crime stories and people kept on coming to me, like people I worked with at UC Berkeley and they were, they, you know, were people in the lit scene. They weren't at lit quake or anything and they wanted a collection of these stories they wanted them all in one place and my first reaction was always like well they're online you know you could just read them anytime and you know people see you know i mean it's a handful of people but it's like you know it's your readers they aren't writers they're just readers they aren't in the business so you have to kind of listen to that you know that's where the market is and um i got this idea of lining up all the stories because I had stories from the vigilante days, you know, San Francisco as a modern city, an Anglo-American city, as opposed to a Spanish city or Mexican city is just a wash in blood. So, I mean, I go back to the 49ers, uh, the 1849ers, the gold rush, 1851. I had stories then. I had stories in the more Victorian era. And I had stuff in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 30s, what have you. And so I could just line it up and then stuff started falling into themes you know there's like the hoodlum era in the 1870s when all these um when all the child laborers no longer could get those sweet child labor jobs at factories because of the trains disrupting that labor pool and bringing in cheap goods from ohio and kansas so you have all these hoodlums around and what do they do all these like white scoflaws decide to go beat up chinese people in chinatown and you know you have all these different gangs so that there's a gang era it seems like in the 900s uh, the ones in the tens there's just all this rampant police corruption so you have a chapter on that they just keep moving you through the history of Francisco into the serial killers and the Symbionese Liberation Army and the kidnapping of Patty Hearst, the biggest downer stuff, um, the, the assassination of Milk and Moscone and Jonestown. You know, Jim Jones was a San Francisco product or a big political mover and shaker in San Francisco at, at, in the late 70s, in the 70s. So, and, you know, and, you know, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, comes to the city to kill people and, uh, and on <laughs> it's and almost on. Like, you know? It's almost like, a, um, it's almost like a, what do you call it? The, uh, the Bureau of Tourism goes, come to San Francisco and kill people. Come to San Francisco. Yes, Richard Ramirez. You want <laughs> a brand new vacation on the is right in San Francisco, where you can kill people in the tenderloin with relative anonymity. <laughs> what? What was it? 
that uh, what what was the start of the column writing in the uh, SF Weekly? What what drew you to this um, the, to kind of this narrative of San Francisco? Well, um, you know the the first chapter in the book. There's the introduction, but the first actual chapter. Um, what drew me to it was um, finding out that the murder suspect and a notorious murder on the border of San Francisco and the suburbs, the border of San Francisco and Daly city, which is the, as you know, you're, you're from those same suburbs, but um, you know, for people that, you know, that don't know the geography of the peninsula suburbs, it's the suburb just to the South of San Francisco, a border of San Francisco. And um, it was something my mom would talk about. She's gone now. And I never really got the story from her when she was alive, except when she would deign to tell it my mom was a storyteller but this was kind of a more serious story her stories were usually these kind of farcical tales of brawls at the laundromat like my mom loved gossip and you know I was like she didn't have a washer and dryer for years and it's like mom we should just get a washer and dryer at Sears they aren't that expensive and it's like she didn't want it she wanted to go to the laundromat to watch people fighting over the dryers you know, there's something about laundromats that intrigues me, especially in San Francisco. I, you know, I, the, I wrote half of Jesus Jerk in a laundromat on Mission Street. <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> you're just stuck there for a good amount of time, you know. Without, without clothes, though. Like, I, didn't, I went in there not doing laundry, but it was right across the street from Safeway and Bernal Heights. Oh, okay, that and, one. And it was kind of perfect because they had the telenovelas on full blast. And I don't know Spanish, so I can't pick it up. So it's a it's it's a little bit of a odd ambience, and it's and I had the window seat to the street, and I I was it's it was my new office. I had a free office just sitting in a laundromat working on my manuscript. Oh, so it was like uh, the um, the Safeway on Mission and Thirtieth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was kind of my Safeway for a little while. I lived on Third and Bryant, but I, my martial arts studio was there. So especially when I didn't have a car, or when I did, uh, that's where I would shop and drive the Safeway goods back to Soma when Soma was a real food desert back then. So right, yeah, now it's so, Rainbow Grocery, and there's uh, you know, well maybe so, maybe that was there. But that the was there, and I don't know why I didn't really go to it. I mean, I knew plenty there's of no people flesh. who worked there. There's no flesh. Yeah, that's what it was. I was buying lots. Of, I was going to I was going to jujitsu and buying steaks and hamburger. You yeah, know, that's that's what it boils down to. You're right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't need, Yeah, they have cheese at Rainbow, right? But that's cheese and eggs. But that's as far as it'll go. Like, you have to really check that cheese though to make sure it's not some vegan cheese. Right. You have to be really hyper aware of what you're buying at Rainbow. I guess you should be at Safeway, but it's for different reasons. Yeah. That's yeah, a, that Safeway used to be a mess. I remember living over there and just there would be like just uh, gang shit happening on the, you know, you're pow, 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 pow. And it was always like around Safeway. It was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The martial arts school. I got we've gotten way off track with the that's studio. what we that's what we do here on drinks. We get OK, the jujitsu <laughs> studio was on the corner of San Jose and 30th. So it was right. Yeah. There. yeah like it was a different kind of martial arts studio for a while when I would drive down and you know when I lived in Daly City until two years ago and I would just drive down San Jose you know to get into San Jose Street to get into the mission to go to the Castro for you know or whatever it was I was doing down there but um 
yeah so then now it's like some you know it's not an antique store but it's some ritzy yuppie store now you know it it makes yeah. me sad driving past it to not see people in geese you know doing doing forms or throwing each other around the place now and you the even that little corridor on that alley um i don't know what the street was that used to have the 3300 club and then also they have like all these little restaurants there it, it, since in the in the in the mid aughts all of a sudden it feels like it started coming yeah. up to as a I should have bought a house there when it was four hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying when I moved to San Leandro. You know, it's like if we did like ten years ago. You know, yeah. If we yeah. just go back in time. Yeah, you know, but uh, but back to the story. Um, you know, so so it was. I found out that my mother was actually briefly a suspect in a very notorious murder case in 1959. It happened the same week that uh, Buddy Holly, uh, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper died in fashion. This, the story on this murder was like, you know, um, was like man lands on the moon size type. Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor bombed font, you know, and then like in the corner, in the you know, it's like rock and roll singers die and crash you know it was just kind of this ap story shoved into a corner you know below yeah. the fold so um so yeah i i was thinking about the story uh, about you know my mom would talk about it and mostly what she said was that this this friend of theirs august nori and he was like a kind of local handyman um maybe a lothario he had this errol flynn look with the pencil thin mustache and the slick back hair and he did gardening but he was also a minor league baseball player and an arthur murray dance instructor and you know that he was um he 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 was like dumping clippings on san bruno mountain which is a mountain that like um that borders San Francisco and Daly City. And uh, it's got a bunch of cell phone towers on it now. <laughs> but he was dumping lawn clippings and he was shot by this woman. And for the murder wasn't solved for months. And my mom said that everybody in their little suburban circle um, suspected each other. Everybody was thinking who was sleeping with him, who killed him. And, and you know, just say there was a lot of suspicion in that time. And I always found that really, really fascinating that all these people on this block of Guttenberg Street in the neighborhood that's called Crocker Amazon uh -huh. in the southern reaches of San Francisco were all kind of suspecting each other. And so I asked my dad about it. We were eating lunch in Redwood City at this Peruvian restaurant. And I just kind of like, I didn't really know much about the story. I didn't know August Nori's name or much about him. And I said, dad, you know, my mom used to talk about a murder, maybe when we lived in Redwood City, like out in the woods somewhere. And she said that everybody suspected everybody else of doing it. And it wasn't solved by a while for a while. And my dad's, you know, not the most dramatic guy. He's like the opposite of me in a lot of ways. He just became dead silent and said, you know, then after a few seconds said August Nori. You know, and so he and then he then he talks about it a little bit. And then he says, you know, your mom was a suspect in that murder. And I don't remember her saying that. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. But I, I don't remember it. She didn't really. That was a story she was very serious about. She it wasn't like her just kind of rattling off, you know, stories like her, my dad and my uncle going to the black cat in the 50s to look at gay people which wasn't like a very which was a very like oh look at these freaks kind of thing that my family used to do <laughs> so if anybody yeah. thinks that straight people didn't 
know what was going on in the gay community in San Francisco in the 50s. These were Eisenhower Republicans. This is what they would go do. And <laughs> my mom just loved when men would hit on my dad and my and her brother. Yeah, that was her favorite thing. She would go on about that forever. But this story was a little muted. Huh. And so, yeah, and I just always, you know, because I find this out, I can't talk to her about it. Like that story of her being grilled by homicide dicks is lost. So the story of my murder, the sus my mother, the murder suspect, which kicks off uh, murders that made us. Um, I was just trying to find like, did Daly City PD have the police records and the San Mateo County Sheriff's because it was it's a very rare case of two agencies um, cooperating. And that's why they were able to eventually find the killer. I'm going to kind of be mute on the killer in this to get people to read buy and read the book or check it out from a library. I don't care, but just read it. Um, they were very, um, you know, I just couldn't find it. I couldn't find the court records. I was hoping to find the police reports and see and maybe even find notes from the detectives um, who interviewed my mom and what these detectives thought of my mom. And, and you know, I put the story out there kind of half hoping and I did a talk at the Daily City Historical Society, hoping somebody would come forward and go, oh, that was my dad or that was my grandpa. And we have this box of his old notebooks. But so far that hasn't happened. I don't, you know, I mean, these cops that handled the case, they were seriously middle-aged men at the time you know i mean they were long gone by by 2010 uh when I'm sure i started they were all chain smokers too right yeah and <laughs> drinkers i mean they they were they yeah in pictures i have of them and like you know uh microfilm printouts they, they they aren't looking like they are looking like they're they're long for the world back then you know they're they're just sweating booze and bad yeah, skin and it's hilarious yeah. what what 50 year olds used to look like to us when we were kids and then now it's just like i mean they, it was like they were they were close to death and now oh, look God, how sexy yeah. we are you know yeah <laughs> it's like we're so well preserved and i don't even really know why uh but i guess they just drank and smoked that much more i, yeah. I guess that's what it was or you know they weren't looking at themselves on twitter as much and, <laughs> and you know they just right you know that's an interesting thought because we kind of um as, as humans we kind of like we'll tease each other or whatever as we present ourselves and it's it's uh, um our friends and it's kind of a way to nudge each other to be uh you know we, we want to be better people essentially so um I'm, I'm going off on a weird thing here I, the acid just hit so excuse oh. me wow <laughs> but uh but it's it's interesting because now that we're we can blow ourselves up to social media we kind of get a lot more feedback on um people saying hey you blank you blank kind of oh thing. you and, look good or yeah 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 and it's just like oh wait i, I might have to look better where if you're not on social media you just you know you're, you're smoking four packs a day and <laughs> you forget to look in the mirror <laughs> i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah no no i you know or you, you do look in the mirror but you're just combing your hair and getting the hell out of the house you're not you're not yeah. on instagram you're not you're not on youtube not on tiktok or whatever right you know? i my uh my grandparents i know like she my grandma used to smoke two packs a day and she thought that was just light, average light. That was it was it, it was just like oh yeah, I, it's the the words were I only smoke two packs a day, uh, but yeah. grandpa but grandpa smokes four packs a day. Wow, God, that's a lot of money to Philip Morris, huh? Yeah, and it's just it's kind of mind blowing. Where it's just like, how did you guys do that? It's so long. 
Yeah. I, I yeah. can't even fathom. I, I could try to do that, but I think I'd have to put patches on me first to like ease up to it, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I talked to my dad for the story and then we went through the old neighborhood with him and I talked to my uncle, my mother's brother, and I tried to find other people and just what really wasn't finding them. 1959. It's like, you know, like I said, I came late into the picture, like my sister, my older sister is 11 years older than me. So, you know, even when I was like, I kind of took pictures of the houses, I found this, I hadn't at my mom and dad and my grandmother and one of her husbands, four different husbands. So my grandfather at that time, uh, and, and my grandmother on my side, you know, all lived on the same block, which I couldn't picture because my my grandmother on my mother's side, Nina, never had a good word to say about Peg, my uh, my dad's mom. She just, you know, I guess that's where the hatred and the contempt came from was was them all living on the same block. And I and I get the impression like my dad was from Chillicothe, Ohio, via Chicago, and my mom's family were Yokies from Muskogee. So it's like this weird kind of kind of hick. Con- in a mostly Italian neighborhood when my dad, my dad was going through and I wish I recorded it. I took some notes, but he was going through the litany of who dated who and the Perrazzo sisters, they all wanted to marry the Norris, but the Norris wouldn't, you know, it was just all this weird little drama and, you know, yeah. and then my dad talked about hunting rabbits with a little 22 on San Bruno mountain, which the idea that you would be that, you know, these kind of hillbilly type dad's a hill. You know that 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 would be going on in San Francisco city yeah. limits or or near it. Yeah, and there's still lots of rabbits there now. I used to walk up there all the time, and then you know because they don't allow dogs, like all the other fauna is is out. Oh wow! You know, like Fort Funston, you might see squirrels and things, but you don't see you know, on San Bruno Mountain. They do not allow dogs. And a lot of people don't like it because of that, because everybody wants to walk their dogs up there. But what's cool is when you walk up there, you see all you see foxes and all kinds of other animals. And sometimes I got a hike up there the next time I'm there. There's I, some, you know, gorgeous, I haven't done that. Yeah, there's some gorgeous views uh, from, you know, of the city and the bay from up there. Yeah. And uh, also a, gor- a nice view of the cow palace. If you make it that far along <laughs> the bridge, and if the parking lot is well, full, it's Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> that's right that's right you covered the jehovah's witness convention for your uh, conventions book well that was a, it was a column later you know it was, a, yeah. it was online and i did a video and uh you know thank you for consulting with me on it it went well I <laughs> what mean, was my consulting it was don't go don't go was that you, <laughs> you actually wanted me to do a gorilla version and just try to talk my way through it but i actually got a hold of their press officer and oh, that was right. the weird thing that was the that was an experience in and of itself because he he kind of like this was a job he had had with the it's not a church with the organization um, for a long time for like 20 30 years and that was just something he did and the chronicle and the and the San Mateo Times all used to have um, religious columnists or a religion reporter. And they would, you know, even kind of do reviews of local, oh, new church opens up and kind of review this new Baptist church or whatever. It was something that all the papers did for a long time. And then they just, that's one of the first things to get axed. 
uh-huh. was was that reporter and he was used to fielding stories from those people you know every year and doing a story around their cow palace you know um meetings or conventions and it just didn't happen and so like he hadn't been contacted i think in 10 or 15 years by a reporter and he was just he couldn't really show it because that would be too prideful uh-huh. but you could kind of tell that he was he was happy that somebody cared one of these worldly people came in to, to talk to them but it was a weird experience because they would let me look at the 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 meeting and then they would take me into a back room of the cow palace and just i kind of just had to sit there and i'm listening to the drone of the people on the stage on this like speaker they had set up and then they would take me to meet the elders uh-huh. and i had to kind of like they were they were i kind of figured out early on that okay they're they're seeing if it's i'm okay yeah and my ex-wife was a former jw so somehow i remembered that they're really into the story of meshach shadrach and abendigo oh right and so i i name dropped them Uh and ebuchadnezzar (laughs) and now they did not bow it's that kind of cleared everything okay he's fine let him let him let him take pictures of the (laughs) of the baptism i kind of meshach shadrach and abendigo (laughs) Yeah. I, like, I had to keep from going into full elder gantry burt lancaster mode you know right. where i'm just too over the top because right. they're they're kind of like the vulcans of the born again world the jehovah's uh-huh. witnesses they're very they're very unemotional or they try to be and very even keeled i mean you know you might think i'm totally full of it but that's the way i saw them that's a good that's a good description i like that a lot <laughs> yeah so i you know if i went full on like kind of my impression of a baptist minister it would probably put them off but it was kind of hard not to you know i was kind of channeling elmer gantry a little bit to to win them over yeah they were you know what i bet you they were probably trying to find out is if you were an ex-jehovah's witness oh okay that was probably the angle they were going on and um and then because well i've i approached them at the uh uh, book festival um probably about five years ago because they have they have booths at all the big book festivals now and oh I, yeah like at the like, art station yeah and i'm like oh my god these guys rent booths and so i went in there pretending i didn't know who they were and i used the wrong language i knew i used the language that they would be like because i was like oh yeah my mom did i didn't know you guys were in los angeles my mom went to one of your passovers you know i was using all the wrong language but i was just like do you mind if i take a photo with you guys to send to my mom she'll get a kick out of it she had no we have no idea you guys were in Los Angeles. So I'm like there with these elders, totally happy to take a photo with me. But if they knew I was an extra Jehovah's witness, I would have been like, leave. <laughs> they would have been like, get out. Oh, so, so me saying I was a Catholic, which I'm a lapsed Catholic. I didn't want to say lapsed because that means I'm available. Um <laughs> you're like you know you walk in there like you carry you carry a rosary so they know that there's there's just there's nothing with you you know it's like having a wedding ring when you go to a a a bar just like oh you know i can't have that fella you know i i went there with a coat and slacks on i don't think i wore a tie i i you know it was it was a saturday i was i was gonna had people coming over after this thing pulled up put on the tie but it was funny because i'm walking through with one of one of the elder press minister title was and like this one kid came ran up on me 
you know, like, what are you doing here? you like, I, you know, maybe my, it's my long hair or something. I think I had yeah. short hair at the time too, but it was like something about me said that I, I wasn't there uh -huh. and, you know, wasn't, wasn't one of them. Um, I don't know what it was, but he just ran. What are you? Doing? I had a camera too. That might have been it. But a lot of people had cameras because it was their 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 son or daughter's big moment in the pool, and uh, you know. So that I don't know, but he ran. A couple of people ran up on me, and you know, what are you doing here? You know, you know just knew like invasion of the body snatchers or something. But I had the press guy with me, like one of these elders, to clear the way. Yeah. Like I could use this guy at Comic Con. <laughs> you know just right you got the, you got where the is this guy when i need him at the republican convention in burlingame he could have gotten me into the trump room yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is funny what, did you have a beard at the time or any shadow of uh hair might have i might i i probably did yeah that if might you have like it. five day growth it's it's just obvious okay that yeah. that was that was the tell you know because i yeah. was i was a little surprised because it's not like i came in there with this hawaiian shirt on i right. dressed respectfully you know and uh yeah so so that was it i yeah i just looked like an outsider and had a camera but i was yeah. you know i had the clearance and i i knew who uh king nebuchadnezzar was and meshach shadrach and abendigo um <laughs> the love and the name dropping they also may have come up to you because they saw you as a potential um someone who may be interested in the jehovah's witnesses yeah that's what like i said lapsed i didn't want to say i was lapsed yeah you know that means i'm i'm single again in the world right. of uh re world religions <laughs> i'm having an existential crisis and i'm covering this convention and then just be like oh let's bring you to the very back room used, that was used to be one of my mom's story that was one of my mom's stories is and when we lived in redwood city and i was just a little kid i was a baby really um she uh would have the catholic priest over hmm. you know and they would listen to elvis records and smoke and drink it was kind of like that that character in the sopranos i guess who was like the priest who would go hang out with carmella and the other wives i don't uh -huh. know if you've ever watched that yeah, show but yeah. yeah this kind of young priest straight off the boat from ireland would hang out with the ladies during the day i don't know if anything unholy was going on but um you know my mom would hang out with the guy and then one day the jehovah's witnesses came by and my mom like they came to the door my mom invited the priest to come talk to them and she said they ran away like he was satan they ran wow. down the stairs and they ran down <laughs> she loved to tell that that was a story she could tell at the drop of a hat she loved the priest chased the jehovah's witnesses away those pansy Jehovah's Witnesses. See, when I was in the Jehovah's Witnesses, if I if a priest came up, I would talk to him, but but I I, I was a little more bold, I think. Uh, and, and but I had my bold crew where we would just be like, yeah, let's have a normal conversation, you know. And then, but most people would be like, ah, I don't know what to do. He's gonna know more than me. He'll lure me into Satan's yeah yeah holy world. The Church of Rome, the the yeah. Lady of the Whore of Babylon itself on the seven pillars. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the way seven too... <laughs> hills man the seven hills of rome you're way too versed in the uh in the dogma of jehovah's witnesses and how they look at other well religions. just lutherans pull this i mean it's just really the whole protestants versus catholics thing in different forms mm. but i mean every time i've ever read anti-catholic propaganda i'm like if it was this cool i'd still be a catholic 
Yeah. They'd have a picture of the Pope on the wall, like a bunch of Popes on the wall. Like, yeah. you know, it's a satanic Roman legion. I'm like, please. <laughs> <what>? <laughs> I just remember it as this boring place I used to have to go Thursday for catechism. And it was really dry, boring lessons about Jesus and the saints. Yeah. Did you, So did you get out of Catholicism when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, by the time I was a teenager, it's something your parents try to make you do. And they weren't really going. What's weird, I don't want to get too far into this. I, I, I was adopted by my mom and dad. And they're the only mom and dad I know. So when I talk about my mom, it's the mom who adopted me. I've, I have not met my biological parents yet. So I just don't want to get people confused because after 23andMe, there's a lot more people who are long time ago finding their families i haven't done it yet uh because mostly because i don't want google founders having my genetic code i know uh, why are these people giving up their dna i i don't get it i yeah. will not give up my dna i don't i don't want to know my percentages of who i am yeah there's it, it, i'm at a point now where i have to decide if i'm going to do that or not because people are going to start passing away you know even right, though my right. my parents were teenagers at the time but they're so they're my i think like my biological mother is still under 70 huh. you know yeah so but it's still i'm gonna have to final decision on that soon but you just never know what you're getting into do do, do my potential half brothers and sisters even know i exist where they were told is is this going to ruin these people's lives the uh me showing up and i have had friends that found that went through this that weren't really adopted but were like um early artificial insemination like the you know uh well i won't say who it is but you know and he just kind of got tired of dealing with these half siblings of his because he he didn't have the kind of hurt that they had over what their parents had told them he was like my dad was a marine and you know when you were like a 50s person some authority figure like a doctor at stanford tells you what to do you do it so he he didn't he wasn't angry but these other people were and they wanted him to have that he they wanted to keep bothering him about this in a way like he's like they did what they did i'm fine um so yeah do you, i've do you seen know for sure if you have uh, half brothers and sisters no i don't i'm just oh, okay. assuming okay. that you know yeah. my biological mother was 16 and my my father was 18 so mm -hmm. i mean in 1969 so i'm just assuming that's things maybe they maybe i have even full brothers and sisters maybe they kept going afterwards but i right right yeah but um where, where why was i bringing this up anyway it, <laughs> where it, were it, we because because i have such a uh what do you call it a face that um that invites uh, confession confession you should have been a catholic priest um uh, you should have talked to those priests they would have set you straight yeah well, yeah and they would have said something else too but um um okay so so yeah you said that <laughs> well, I, totally... I, I, th I think i think it had something probably to do with the nationality of your parents and then maybe oh that's... okay that's what it was yeah my parents were protestants but because of the adoption contract, they had to raise me as a Catholic. Oh, that is awesome. That's the weirdest <laughs> thing about it. And my mom liked, she never, my uncle, her converted because my aunt is Spanish and he loved the, the, the church and my mom preferred it, but she wasn't really going to join. 
Mm-hmm. She liked hanging out with the priests and smoking and listening to Elvis records. Yeah. And she also said, well, the services are over in 45 minutes to an hour. Be glad you don't have to go to what, a, you know, the Baptist church and be there all day. It's terrible. Yeah. The funerals go on forever. Just the, they, the Catholics have it. They just say the hail Marys and throw the holy right. water around and then it's over. And that was yeah. her take on it. It and, was then, and then we'll just and then we'll go get blowjobs and receive blowjobs because that's not sex. Yeah, we'll just drink. We'll just, we'll, you know, they drink. These other churches, they they don't they frown upon drinking. Push the feelings down. Yeah, just yeah. Oh, these 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 god people like to get bombed on old crow. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a weird thing. So they, they weren't really there in the church. They weren't making me, they, they weren't really like, Oh, you should go be a choir boy because they didn't really want to go see all the recitals Sunday. And, what a, what a, what a great way to get, to get through it and get it to it's, just, it was just a contractual agreement and they're just kind of like, okay, we got to fulfill it. It's, yeah. So I have this, this kind easy of out. Yeah, so by the time I'm a teenager, there's no real pull on it because it's yeah. not like, you know, my mom would have preferred it if I would have stuck with it because it was just, you know, it's 50s people in authority. But, um, yeah, so it's a, I, I'm kind of a weird, you know, my brain is messed up from that, but it was easy to get out of church because it wasn't something they did. And, you know, my mm-hmm. mom and dad were divorced, so they could never be Catholics. And uh, by that oh, time, right. Yeah, or, or yeah, well, yeah. my my grandmother, my grandmother was divorced, and that was the whole Italian side of the family in San Francisco, and she couldn't take communion, so she was still staunch Catholic. But I think the thing was, since she was divorced, she couldn't take communion. Yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, they do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> but when I but saw yeah. her, I saw her take it at her dad's funeral, though. I was like, oh. You know, one of my one of my first times in a Catholic church because you can't. I mean, as a Jehovah's Witness, you can't even go into these satanic palaces of orgies and sins, right? <laughs> and so, uh, so I went to the Catholic. Uh, the first time was when my great grandfather died, and I went and sat through a whole funeral, a Catholic funeral. And I'm like, how many times do I have to stand up and sit down? And I don't know what the hell he's saying. It's in Latin, you know. <laughs> yeah. Do the Latin thing anymore, post Vatican II. But yeah, that's the it's the Catholic aerobics, and it's it's a kind of they know the service is kind of boring, so they you they may it's the way to keep you awake, you know, because it's kind of it's it's might be boring, but it's also kind of soothing because the priests usually have that soothing voice, or they can like the good ones, and you'll just you're just there, and even though the chair's uncomfortable, it just has this kind of like you know you just you you just can drift off, yeah. But no, it's like all oh, please rise, all oh, please you know, yeah. kneel, rise, kneel, yeah. rise. I, after about the third one, I was like, I'm sitting the rest of this out, you know. You, you can go into the Protestants' corner, like anytime you're at a Catholic wedding or funeral, there's the corner in, you know, it's any corner kind of in the back, and you that, oh, that's where the Protestants are. They don't know this stuff. That needs to be a band name, the Protestants' corner. <laughs> Has anyone taken that? That's so perfect. You know, I guess Jewish people could go there too, or maybe the other corner is for Jewish people. Yeah. I don't know. There's always you could always see the Protestants' corner. They look kind of nervous, like I don't know. They're they're saying this stuff like they all know it, you know. And yeah, yeah. The ritual. Yeah. I I think it's kind. Of, I mean, I look at it. I have no relation to it, but the ritual is kind of sexy. It's yeah. it's way sexier than a Jehovah's Witness meeting, which is just they they are sitting there trying to bore you to tears, 
but you know brainwashing you essentially so well everybody's i think everybody in a church is brainwashing you one way or another but those yeah. rituals the thing that's scary i think to jehovah's witnesses and other other uh kind of born again holy roller protestant groups is those rituals they come from before christianity they are roman or greek rituals yeah. or sometimes persian or egyptian even you know yeah like there's all these other religions mixing in and, and, you know, the cult of Osiris is kind of in there somewhere too. So I, Rosie watched this, my wife, Rosie watched this, uh, you know, the great courses plus series on, on Egypt and on ancient Egypt. And at the end he showed how like the, the Pope's staff is pretty much the same, the staff of Osiris and it's the hat. The hat is like, kind of like the uh, Pharaoh's hat, I believe you know how how those those garments those vest those are throwbacks to to egypt it was so that's the fear it was cultural appropriation in the early 80s yeah, yeah it's, it's totally cultural appropriation <laughs> you know so that's the fear is it's bringing you it is bringing you to those demonic god your and Baal and you know and zeus and and you know pluto hades and on. yeah oh so much fun see yeah yeah because like even even like like as a Jehovah's witness i couldn't even like almost look at a cross because it was so demonized as far as you know the the cross and now i have like i have little crosses around my place and people must still go oh he must be a christian it's like no that was satan to me <laughs> <laughs> having a crucifix is just like satan it's it's hilarious you know it's i like the imagery well, it's, it's this, it is the, you know, okay, that guy was God. He was the son of God. He was God on earth, but we still killed him. It's the whole Roman thing. That's why it's so heavy on the crosses. Like, you know, yeah. and I was in an Armenian church once and I was, that's like an even more ancient version of Christianity. And it was for a friend's funeral. Uh, he was 95, uh, Al Nalbandian who sold flowers, um, at uh gary and stockton by oh, wow. union square forever um yeah and uh when, he, so when did was, he die i mean he's probably someone i passed he died times. about four years ago oh okay yeah 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 and uh, he just had he was also a character actor he's in american graffiti and uh the 70s invasion of the body snatchers and and you know he was just a character actor in san francisco he's in movies from the 50s on you know here yeah. and there yeah. like he's in some noirs some oh. genuine noirs and everything and uh, the um you know the version of christ in the armenian church is a very christ he's even holding up his hands they had a painting of him holding up his hands showing the nails huh. the the where the nails went through and it, it's kind of like i thought okay the catholic church i grew up in christ is dead on the cross it's like he's god but we killed him Right. So, you know, and the Armenian church is like, haha, couldn't get me. <laughs> <laughs> or show and tell, look at this, mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, look, Mary, you know, but yeah, it's like, it's like, it's a living Christ and it's kind of a more joyful Christ than I grew up with where Christ is just this kind of scary. He is scary. It's like Carrie, you know, I got, the, I got to go to an Armenian church. I live in the middle of, uh, you know, Armenian population in Los Angeles. I got to hit one of these. Are you in little Armenia or Glendale? I'm in little Armenia. Oh, okay. But Glendale, yeah. Glendale's more of the population. So it's kind of like the difference between Chinatown in San Francisco and, and the Richmond and the Richmond district. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody, you know, 
little Armenia or Chinatown is like, this is kind of the tourist part. Right. And then this is where these people actually live. Yeah. No, I, I, when I want Chinese food in San Francisco, I never go to Chinatown. I go to the Richmond. Oh yeah. That's where the best Chinese food is. Yeah. And I think that's, that's part of the New York versus God. We're way off course now. We should talk about a couple murders soon, but uh, <laughs> that's why I think the whole New York versus San Francisco Chinese food thing like the New Yorkers, you can't convince them. But then I'm like, oh, they go, they go to Chinatown and they have the kind of inferior Chinese food instead of like even like the Koi Palace in Daly City. That's the place to get dim sum. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, that's yeah. definitely one of the places. Um, some of the places of uh, the what it was at the Dumpling King over by the Balboa Theater closed, and I'm still sad about that. Yeah, and that's the, and that's the oh, I just loved I loved going to Green Apple Books and getting Chinese food. I mean, that was just those two things go um, in sync with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is it, uh, it, yeah. I'm worrying you that we're not talking about the book so much. We get, <laughs> I, well, we're both that, from that, we're both from roughly the same place, so we're just doing like I, I, I really get off to- talk. I really get off topic completely. So all the time, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hate to ask this, is the audio still good? Yeah, the audio is great. Okay, okay, I'll keep going. And, and, uh, and you're looking well too. Okay, thanks. <laughs> um, I saw, yeah. I saw your, I saw your, uh, your press photo for the, uh, for the book, and it, it, you're in a suit and tie. That is well. There's a story to that. That's pretty sexy. I'm just, oh. I'm going, man. You, you clean up really well. <laughs> I had a great hair day that day, <laughs> but I, it's a happy accident. Because that's actually my corporate headshot or one of the pictures from my corporate headshot for my job. And um, because of the pandemic, you know, I didn't have a more recent press photo than Beer, Blood and Cornmeal in 2008, where I'm wearing like a fringe buckskin jacket and stuff. And I've got a goatee and it's like, well, that's I don't look like that anymore. I have aged. And some of it's just kind of embarrassing. It's like, oh, this is like my 70s photo now, (laughs) my 2007 photo um and so i was like but the pandemic happened and you know i just couldn't get like my usual tail rock and roll photographer guy maybe i could have but i didn't know if it was a good thing to do and so i had to reach out to the um person who the photographer took the headshots Teresa o'brien um so might as well since i'm talking about her might as well tell tell you who she is Teresa o'brien and you know hey you took the this you did this photo session with me and can I buy one of those pictures? And she was, you know, she she allowed me to do it. First, there was a little bit of like, oh, I need to figure out the the rate for that because it's like, oh, she's taking pictures for, you know, a venture capitalists and things. And you know, we came, oh. we we were able to, yeah. She, you know, kind of once I explained, like, I'm not with uh, Simon and Schuster. This is this is a four figure advance, which I, I'm not sure I should say that, but it's a it's it's not a six figure advance by any means. I, I think four-figure advances are very, uh, they're, they're very normal. Okay, they're common. I never yeah. really know about this stuff, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, like once I explained it to her, I mean, I, I did, I was willing to them, but that there, there wasn't like, there wasn't a corporate budget, you know. The, yeah. the, the photo budget for the book, and that's, that's not the budget for this picture. This picture came out of my pocket. But the... Um, you know, the whole budget for illustrations for the book was 1500 bucks. Yeah. You know, there was one Getty image of uh, former DA Terrence Hallinan 
uh, from the 1960s. Like I found a rights-free or maybe rights-free version of it where he's all bloody because cops at San Francisco State have beat his head in during the uh, SF State strike in 1968. And I Uh remember there was a really good one. And then there was another one of him with his ADA, Kimberly Gifoyle, um, way back when she was an asso- assistant district attorney in San Francisco that I wanted, but if that was going to bust the whole budget, that was like going to end up being like, you know, 1200 bucks Canadian. So we, yeah. you know, my publishers in Toronto, so that was just, okay. I couldn't have those pictures. So, <laughs> so yeah, once I got through that and thank you very much, I, I had a great hair day and I do look <laughs> a little too, too, um, sophisticated maybe, but I'm, I'm going, I, I met uh, a reporter at the Chronicle, and I wore my uh, my new linen suit that's been in the closet wrapped yeah, up. For, yeah, was it Peter uh, Hart? Peter Hartlob, yeah, 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 yeah. So another another Peninsula guy. He's from Burlingame. Burlingame, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm from the unincorporated district of Menlo Park. Really, I was born in San Francisco. But and my family did live in like South San Francisco, and then like I said, Crocker Amazon, and even Daly City. But when I was like when I could remember things, it was Redwood City and then unincorporated Menlo Park, which is a kind of strange place. It's more like Redwood City than like Menlo Park. Even then, Menlo Park was still posh back in the seventies and eighties and nineties. It was. It definitely was. Not quite as extravagant as it is today, but I mean, Atherton's right there, and Atherton was always really extravagant. Right, right. But unincorporated Menlo Park, there's no sidewalks, it's gravel roads, and there were plenty of Camaros up on blocks that had patches of primer on them. You know, it was it was kind of the word. It's not like that anymore. Facebook and, and Google engineers have, have taken it over, and I think my mom's dilapidated a house like they've bulldozed it and rebuilt it and it's like you know on zillow it's 1.75 wow and i'm like there's only so much square footage on that you know quarter acre if that lot but there you go you know it's like i was uh i was in i was in providence rhode island at the end of 19 i mean uh, 2019 2019 yeah a couple about a year and a half ago and i was in kind of the sad sad neighborhoods uh, driving through and I was like this reminds me of San Bruno and Milbury in the 80s it's just it just it felt like because because we were in the sad suburbs it wasn't it wasn't really groovy to me at the time to just it was just like 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 what you said cars on blocks and just people hanging out and I was just like brought back to like 1983 kid driving in a car you know yeah when I moved to San Leandro it was like if you go down Hesperian through San Lorenzo into Hayward or even East 14th, you know, when it goes into Oakland, it looks like El Camino or Middlefield Road in, like 35 years ago. And, and friends of mine who, you know, my friends from high school who've come to see me, you know, we've driven around and they're like, oh, my God, this is, you know, you know, they'll be visiting their parents or whatever in, in Menlo Park or Palo Alto or San Mateo. And they all they can talk about is how built up it is and how, how you know, it, it was gentrified on on upper, upper middle class people, you know, yeah. just how she she everything is or how just extravagant. 
and and like they're like oh my god this look look at look at that tv repair place it's still open you know yeah. it's still it's got an open sign on it and just the the taquerias and the burger stands and the you know all this kind of stuff that you know was like woodside road even in redwood city or or you know the strips of san mateo into san bruno the yeah. way they use this stuff there are parts of milbray and stuff like where el super burrito is and stuff that looks and like, i'm so glad that's still there i haven't been oh, there yeah. probably in about five years so i think about five years ago i did pop in again and get their super burrito and it's just like it's still great it's still great it's all about the refried beans they're the, the they've so much lard in them they're white is that what it is because san francisco does burritos better than la but la does tacos better than san francisco that's oh, why i don't doubt with. it yeah 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 no and san diego has its own things going on too but yeah yeah but uh any any of the murders in the book you want to talk about <laughs> it's a history of crime of san francisco through all its most heinous acts and some of its farcical criminal yeah. acts and and i hope everybody buys it um yeah, no, I go off. I we we just meander. We meander when we do this thing. Oh no, it's I'm I'm actually happy with that because I'm not. I this is like maybe my second big interview for this book, and I don't have the interview fatigue yet. Where it's like, yes, Jim Jones and Dan. White, oh right, or, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know where. I'm not just saying the same thing and hoping I've made it different enough for you know if somebody reads both or listens to both things right there's that and then also i just i just get so tired of uh the, the manufactured conversations you know we are around it um on like late night shows and stuff like that where people are just like so you went to tell you right recently and they try to pretend like that you know five people haven't already done segment producing interviews and rehearsed these conversations on these shows you know it's just like let's just get the conversation let's just let's, let's go let's yeah go, you know go the wrong way let's do it wrong I've been like watching too much of like there's a Pluto channel which you know that's oh, a streaming so service. Good. Yeah. And I've been watching the Carson one. Yeah. The Johnny Carson one and there was an interview with Ray Bradbury where they just were talking like the potential you know our wars had just come there was a little bit of in science fiction and and then Carson said that him and Ray Bradbury and Carl Sagan were at the um are you still picking me up? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. I just got that connection unstable, but my Wi-Fi. Sorry, um, I'll keep that to a minimum. Uh, let me know if there's a problem. But they, you know, Carl Sagan, Ray Bradbury, and Johnny Carson were hanging out at the Jet Propulsion Lab, watching like a space shuttle launch or something. And uh -huh. it was just Carson was hanging out with these guys, and yeah. they were talking about science and the potential to to travel to other planets and and explore space and why science fiction was popular. And it was just this 12 minutes of, you know, with, you know, with a commercial break in there of, of that conversation instead of, you know, oh, your new movie's out. Oh, let's sing karaoke. Yeah. Oh, God, don't even get me on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, man, Johnny Carson's cooler than I ever thought. He's hanging yeah. out with Sagan and Bradbury at, at NASA. And Dick Cavett, I love watching all those old ones because you because you know he's kind of he's throwing the the people curveballs a little bit and going you know tell me about this and it's he'll he'll dive into being okay with offending someone on the on their interviews you know yeah yeah it's it is like you know I mean you know I write books about old things a lot of times or the, at least I have been lately yeah. so I'm just fascinated by all this weird 
stuff that they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, there hey, was. Oh, go ahead. There was also more of a willingness, I think, to have like, for lack of a better word, like, and Letterman did this with kind of local New York weirdos, where they would have people that were kind of nobodies on, you know. Uh-huh. Like, here's a guy who did the, who wrote this weird book or does this weird act somewhere or you know accomplished some notable thing besides just people on the celebrity press junket yeah and 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 it also brought the the regional vibe to it you know it's like david letterman was severely new york it's it, we're going to we're going to go down to this pizza shop and talk to these guys you know every two weeks kind of thing where there, there's no um it's just it's just for laughs it's it, it's no other angle of trying to sell something you know yeah yeah and it's but it give you know it made for me that's you know growing up in 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 redwood city uh, you know it's it's how i saw new york you yeah. know when i was a you know you know adolescent yeah and now everything's all clean yeah. even the speech is clean i Go mean he was TVA. having brother theodore on you know yeah like crazy performance artist guy yeah, you know yeah that yeah. no, was cool hey bob thanks so much for coming on the show this has been great oh yeah 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 thanks for having me are we at time yeah we're out of time that's it bob calhoun on drinks with tony check out his new book the Murders That Made Us, How Vigilantes, Hoodlums, Mob Bosses, Serial Killers, and Cult Leaders Built the San Francisco Bay Area. Next week on the show, we have Dan Denton. He's the author of $100 a Week Hotel. Keep reading books. Keep writing. Keep up the storytelling. Thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony. I'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony. You are on your radio dial at 101.9 FM. KPCRLP Santa Cruz.